Good morning, church. I'm loving our study in Galatians. Trent did a great job last week introducing the book. And so we're going to be in chapter 2. If you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles. These scriptures are not on PowerPoint. So you actually have to open up a Bible or or a phone that has a Bible or an iPad or an iWife or iDaughter, whoever shares with you. Whatever you can get to get the Bible open, do it today, okay? We're going to look in Galatians chapter 2. Just to remind you, out of chapter 1, you remember Paul writes this thing about freedom. He says, look, I'm a, I'm a little bit astonished, he says. I'm surprised that this message that changed your life, you so quickly got away from. You, know, you would think that something had that much impact as the gospel did on your life, that you wouldn't leave it very quickly. But you know what? The, the, the very fact is, something can have a great and strong powerful impact and you recognize it at the time and then easily get drawn away from it and that's kind of what was happening here in these churches and so you remember some of the brothers was pu- pulling them away by preaching another gospel he makes a real strong statement he even says look if someone preaches another gospel than this one let him be accursed by fact he even makes that statement even if an angel from heaven now you think about that for a minute I mean, even a miraculous event from your viewpoint. An angel from heaven comes and tells you another gospel. Don't you give in to it. You stick with the gospel. That's pretty strong, right? And so he says this gospel changes people's lives. Don't change it. Don't pervert it. Keep it the same. Keep preaching it. And Paul says, look, I didn't get it from any human resource. Look, this came from God. This story I have is the story that changed my life. It changes other people's lives. And in this chapter, he goes on to talk about even his uh, defending of this freedom and his credibility about as an apostle uh, uh, preaching this good news. So in chapter 2, let's do a little bit of reading here. Verse, uh, uh, break this down, starting in verse 1 through 5 here. He says, 14 years later, pretty good length of time there, by the way, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to the revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Jew. Okay, so he goes up uh, and takes Titus with him. And so the Jewish leaders, they they don't compel Titus to become a Jew. But there's some of them that want to. So the next verse he said, This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. So the first thing we find out here is he's preaching the gospel. He's not going to, uh, uh, he's not going to get away from that. And he, he's going to meet with some leaders about it. They're going to confirm the gospel, by the way, and what he's preaching. But there are some Judaizing teachers that are trying to add something to the message of the gospel. They're trying to get these Gentiles to have to go back and keep the law in order to be right. So basically what happens is they reject grace. Because Jesus plus anything isn't grace anymore, right? The gospel plus something is not grace. And so even though... Uh, even though it was, could be even something good, something religious, something traditional, when you add it for the purpose of getting more 
favor or more acceptance or more love or more salvation, it ceases to be a good thing. This bad theology called legalism means that somehow or another by doing good, it can result in my being right with God. Now we say it all the time, right? You go to a funeral more, and when someone talks about he's a good man, he lived a good life, you know, and, and, and he's with the Lord. And, and, I, and, and we, get, we do it so easily sometimes, we don't recognize it, that it's not about being good. We can appreciate people being good, but we cannot make that step to where being good makes you right with God. It just doesn't do it. They can, you can have right behavior and wrong belief and end up in legalism. And that's what they did. But look, it wasn't that, uh, well, the Jews, it wasn't that circumcision was a bad thing. It wasn't that keeping the dietary laws was a bad thing. It wasn't that. It was um, somehow or another, I'm going to add those to the Gentile that you have to do that to be right with God. And that can't happen. Good becomes bad when the theology is that you gain acceptance or favor with God by being good. It's just not going to happen. So they rejected grace. But then all of a sudden, this grace gets recognized through the gospel. Look here in these next uh, verses, 6. As far as those who seem to be important, whatever, uh, uh, whoever, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God is not judged by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Look at that. What happens? James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. So not only did uh, Paul say, look, I'm not giving in to these teachers that say I have to have something else in my life besides the gospel. But when I took this to the leaders of the church, hey, they gave me credibility. They said, look, you're doing just what Peter was doing to the Jews. That's what you were doing with the Gentiles, sharing the good news with them. And they offered out their right hand of fellowship to, to Paul, Peter and those guys did. Now, that meant a lot. That hand of fellowship was saying, we're in the same boat together. We're one together. We're family together. They didn't offer it just to Paul. They offered it to Paul and Titus and Barnabas, all those that would be with him. Because the leaders recognized this grace and they recognized the message. It's the same thing that changed their life. Now look, that hand of fellowship when it goes out, it goes out to those Gentiles who are a different race. Got it? Different race. Different religious background and different tradition. And yet he puts his hand out and gives them the right hand of fellowship. And what does that say about us as God's people? While we may not be battling the Jewish equation like they were, we do battle those prejudices inside our own hearts. And look, I, I know because I did this myself. I wanted to take people in the early days who were different than me religiously, even though they believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I wanted to take and I wanted to correct their bad belief and make them right before God by doing it. Now, what is that? That's arrogance. That's what that is. 
Because I don't make anybody right. God made them right by the story of Jesus. And because they have a different race, religion, background, or tradition, I can't add my background onto theirs and say, you've got to believe what I believe to be right with God. And shame on us for doing that. Now their grace responds this way. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now think about that for a minute. He says, look, this gospel I recognize now, this grace, grace responds how? Taking that message, you keep going, keep that message going to the Gentiles. We'll keep it going to the Jews. We're going to get everybody. But while you do that, just remember there's a bunch of poor people to take care of. And Paul said, look, and I'm eager to do that. Now think about what it was like for Paul to stand in front of an audience of poor Jews who some may have been made and put into poverty by his own very actions. You don't think he destroyed a family's income when he persecuted the church and would, would kill that husband or kill that dad? And now he's going to stand in front of them because of the grace of God. Do you not understand? He understood the power of the grace of the gospel. And it was a very humbling thing. And so for him to have a desire for those very Jews that got persecuted and scattered and didn't have anything, he had a great heart. That's why he tells them in Corinthians, look, I want to take up a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Look what they've given us. So, oh, he had an eager, eagerness to take care of the poor. Because that's how grace responds. It responds by sharing the message and taking care of people that can't take care of themselves. But not only do you not give in to bad theology, which is legalism, but don't give in to bad behavior. Look here in verse 11, chapter 2. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. That's pretty bold, right? Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now there's the good. He, remember, remember, in Antioch, remember uh, Cornelius and Peter takes the gospel to him and the sheep comes down and he says, hey, everything's okay. You can take the gospel to, to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Remember that? And so Peter takes that message. Those guys, he, he baptized. He was with. He, was, he ate with them. They became his brothers in Christ. He's enjoying their fellowship. That's the good part. Now all of a sudden, he's doing this with these Gentiles and some of the Jewish brothers come along to visit. Now here's the bad part. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Fear takes good people to a bad place when it's allowed to stay in their heart. He feared the religious leadership and it took him down a bad road. He feared what those other preachers or leaders were going to think about what he was doing. So he started drawing back his fellowship from the Gentiles and wouldn't eat with them anymore. Now think about that. What does that say about them? You see, on the first part, you don't give in to bad theology. That, that's legalism. But on this, you don't give in to bad behavior because legalism... Sometimes it's good behavior with, with bad theology, right? But this second part with Peter, 
what it is, it's right belief with wrong behavior. He believed right at the beginning. He understood what was right. He believed that, but his behavior contradicted it. That's why he says later in the verse, they were not in line, not in line with the gospel, the truth of the gospel. They violated that. Now, not only was it bad, it became ugly because look what happened. To the other, Jew, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Here's what he says, look. You started right. You gave the gospel to them. You loved them. You're fellowship, And now you're cutting them off because you're scared of some church leaders and what they're going to say. And not only did you do that, you took a bunch of the brothers with you when you did it. It's just kind of like dominoes falling when you get into sin, isn't it? It's not just you. All of a sudden you influence others and they walk along that way. Even good people. Right belief. Wrong behavior. Peter knew and believed the gospel, but his actions didn't reflect it. Think about what that means to me and you. If the gospel has changed my heart, and my belief and my faith is where it needs to be in my understanding, if I walk out of here and live contrary to that message, that becomes a terrible testimony and witness to the world as well as to the brothers. So don't come in here saying, God, I believe the gospel, and walk out there and shack up with, you, with, the, with your girlfriend. That ain't, walk, that ain't walking in line with the truth of the gospel. We can't do that. And we must confront people in, within our family when we do not walk in line with the gospel. Now look, confronting people is not legalism. Confronting people is gospel in action to say we got to get back in where grace was found and the message it was found in, it changes how we live. And that must be confronted. Look, we cannot live immoral. We can't live in drunkenness. We can't live like the world and then give our voices up saying we believe in the gospel. You can believe right, but if you live wrong, you're going to be wrong. It's not rocket science, folks, is it? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about direction. When the direction of your life is the opposite of the gospel, no matter how many times you say, I believe it, it just doesn't mean anything anymore. So basically, Paul tells them, get in line. <laughs> line up. Line up your life with the gospel. Then he tells them, not only do you don't give in to bad theology, which is legalism, and you don't give in to bad behavior, which is hypocrisy, but you do give in to grace, which is living by faith. Now this word faith in this next text, three times he uses it. It's a good word to circle in that text, okay? As well as the word justified. Let's just do a little bit of reading here in verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ. So that we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified. 
If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that ourselves are sinners, does that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I uh, rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. But, hey, here's the verse. Everybody look up right here for a minute. Here's the verse. Got it? Verse 20. This is it. This is the one you need to highlight right here. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Three times he uses the word faith there, and also he uses the word justified. Now, this justified is, is, a, is a legal term that's used, that all your problems have been solved because of Jesus Christ. And now you're innocent. You stand in the court of God innocent because of what Christ has done. Nothing you've done. You can't keep the law to get that way. Only Christ can get you that way through the gospel. Then he says this thing of living by faith in Christ. I've been crucified. That means there's new identity. The old man died. Been crucified. Now there's a new identity of who I am. I'm in Christ. Not only is there a new identity, there's a new direction. I live by faith. I didn't live by faith before, but now I live by faith. I live in trusting him and what he's done for me. I trust that gospel enough to take care of me. So I have a new identity and I have a new direction in life. All because of the gospel. And Christ now lives in me, in my body. Making things happen for him and for the kingdom. Not for my will. You ever have somebody say, uh, I just, I'm trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. Anybody here ever said that besides me? Thank both of y'all. Thank y'all for <laughs> two honest people among twelve hundred. That's not, but you know. Now all of us have said that sometime, right? We're looking for what? What is God's will? Do I live here? Do I take this job? Do I move here? Do I do this? Now we have some interesting things that go on in our minds about how to do that. But one way people make that decision is by uh, it's the oh I'm going to open the Bible up and just point my finger to a verse and God will guide me you ever, you ever done that some of you have done that you know you have that kind of I'm going you know it's just something magical is going to happen put my you got to be real careful about that because you know you put your finger down on a verse that says uh, uh, what thou doest doest thou quickly and then you put your finger down again that says he went out and hanged himself I mean you, you need to be careful right I'm not sure that's a good way to find the will of God in your life some, some, of the, some of the rest of us do the open door, closed door method, you know. Now, I understand Paul praying about doors being open and closed, but, you know, he goes through an open one, then he leaves it too, by the way. I mean, but we, we, you know, we have that idea somehow or another, some mystical, magical, spiritual thing will happen and open a door and there'll be a sign that I've just got to go that way. It's like God's will is hiding around the corner and I'm trying to figure out exactly what method it is that all of a sudden I'll discover it and know that I'm in it. Or then, some of us try these 
small, still, soft voice of God talking to me. And that he, somehow or another he's going to tell me outside of his word what his will is. I, I look, I think we ought to be listening for God, but you know what? Is that really how I find out what God's will is for my life? It's amazing the way sometimes we try to make decisions about God's will. We are going about it all the wrong way. It's not about me finding God's will. God's will has already been found. It's not hidden from him and it's not really hidden from me. Sometimes we think it is, but it's not. He tells us in this verse, look, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I know where my will's got to be now. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ now lives in this body. And so as he lives through, through me and in me, the direction's already given. I know what Christ's will was. I know why he came to seek and save the lost. I know why he came to give God glory. I know why he came to uh, love God with all of his heart and us do the same and love your neighbor, right? And keep the gospel for I know the will of God. It's my doing that will wherever I go in life. So there, much, there needs to be much more emphasis on me being crucified and Christ's will living in me than there is me somehow or another trying to discover what will is out there in some mysterious way. It's no mystery. You and I are to be like Jesus wherever we live and whatever we do. It's no surprise that you as God's people will act like Christ on whatever career path you take, whatever job you have, whatever ministry you work in, whatever city you live in. I know what God's will is for your life. We really do. To be crucified with Christ and Him live and shine through our life. This idea of justified, it's the picture of that judge in the courtroom that takes that gavel and all of a sudden, boom, and declares you innocent, declares you justified. That's what the judge does. And so the judge's gavel hits that wood and you're declared. And so once you are declared, listen, once you are declared justified, now go out and live like it. So many times we let Satan take us captive, and God has justified us, God has saved us, and, and, the, and the gospel's changed our hearts, and yet we let Satan back in to say things like, remember that old sin you did five years ago? And we let him pile on the guilt, we let him pile on the blame, we let him pile on the burdens that God already took care of through Jesus. And so instead of walking around here like we're down and we're doomed and, and we're never going to make it in life and poor me, we got to get out of that as God's people. You're, look, you are royalty, you are a prince. You are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So you need, to, you need to get up and walk out of this building and live with full confidence that you've been saved by the gospel because you've been crucified and Christ lives now. So you've got to go out and live like justified people. Live like that. Don't give in to bad theology that I've got to do something to get more approved or more loved 
And don't give in the hypocrisy and bad behavior that discredits what you believe. Do give in to the grace of God because He's changed your heart not only now but forevermore. Now, I remember this is, this is what legalism will do sometimes. I, I remember this when I decided to I got converted in a 1976. I decided to change my life. I just wanted to come down here and study the Bible. They had a school of preaching here at this church. I just wanted to come here and study the Bible and learn more. So I walk in and to the living room and I, I tell my dad. Now my dad always went to church, always had strong character, but he, but, but, but he had nobody to gospel. He wasn't a Christian yet. He's sitting there in his recliner reading the paper. And I have two older brothers. We, you know, we played some ball, and we had big, I had big interest in sports. I thought about you know, doing some other stuff, maybe you know, music or coaching or something like that. So I go and I tell Dad, Dad, I'm going to go to that school of preaching in West Monroe, Louisiana. He never looked up. He sat there, and he kind of took a deep breath. He said, well, he said, that's about like coaching. If you win, you stay. If you lose, you move every two years. <laughs> well, <laughs> there, there, there's quite a bit of truth in that, I think, when you look out at some preacher's lives, you know. Now, that's from a non-Christian. Here's what I got from the Christian brother a week later when I'm walking downtown and I meet an old preacher who says, I hear you're going to school of preaching. I said, yes, sir. He said, and you're going to that, that West Monroe church? I said, yes, sir, I sure am. And mind you, this is the preacher. He said, you don't want to go down there, son. That's where they believe you can know you're saved. And I said, yes. And he said, you can't know that. That's what the judgment for. Now, now think about that. In all seriousness, I have a non-Christian Telling me, you know, go for it, just win, basically, you know. <laughs> but he's for me. He's encouraged me. I have, I have a Christian preacher who is full of doubt and fear about his own salvation. Now think about the congregations he's brought up through his teaching. No wonder our brothers and sisters are scared and fearful and don't know that they can have the assurance of eternal life. I love 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. It's knowable because of the grace of God. It's knowable. So I don't want you to walk out of here without knowing. You are right with God. Because of the gospel and God's grace. And when you go out, you walk in faith. And you walk with full assurance. Grace never runs out. He pours more on you. Continually lavished, Paul said in Ephesians. Lavished love on us. Yes, you can be assured of your salvation. Because I'm telling you, unassured people make terrible witnesses because you have no good news to share. And if the gospel is anything, it 
is good news. So we don't set aside grace if we do. Christ died for nothing. Instead, we rejoice in it. We praise God for it. That's what God has done for you and me. Father, we love you. Thank you for the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. May we hold that close to our heart. May we never be legalistic. Father, we don't want to. We know we cannot add anything to our lives that make us more loved or accepted by you. It's only because of Jesus. And for that, we're grateful. And help us as we live our lives to behave in such a way that's consistent with this gospel, Father, that, that we put our faith in. And help us, Father, to continue to crucify ourselves, to continue to put our will aside and to know that we follow your will in not only being like Jesus but sharing Jesus with other people. Thank you for the hope that we have in heaven. In Jesus' sweet name we pray. Amen. If you have a need today, would you come while we stand and sing?